Welcome to MuggleCast episode 397. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. And I'm Micah. We've been talking about Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald, and we're going to continue doing that this week. But we're going to also talk about Fantastic Beasts 1. Specifically, what did Fantastic Beasts 1 raise? What questions did it raise that Fantastic Beasts 2 not answer? We, you know... J.K. Rowling got us excited about certain things in the first movie. Mm. And then she left us hanging <laughs> in some regards. So we're going to talk about that and try to figure that out. And we also have some voicemails today. Uh, but first, we're just going to start with a news item. Were you guys surprised when, spoiler alert, um, Lita seemingly dies at the end of the second movie? Yeah. I was not. Because if you go back to my predictions, all the way back, I don't remember what episode it was, I, I actually had her down as the one to go. Huh. You had her penned down, huh? I did. Okay, well, then leave this podcast, because this part of the show isn't for you. Well, I can I can still <laughs> play devil's advocate or pretend yes. to uh, argue a position I don't agree with. Whatever you need me to do, Andrew, I'm here for you. <laughs> Well, maybe they actually heard your prediction and then uh, decided to change the movie because in a new interview on Dan Fogler's podcast, he plays Jacob and he has a podcast called Dan Fogler's 4D Experience. He sat down with Zoe Kravitz, who plays Lita, and there's this interesting moment in their chat, and I'm going to play it. Come back as a ghost or something or... Because I want, it seems I want, very unclear. I want you to haunt Jacob or something. Like you got something to I'd tell love to from be, beyond. Like a little haunting, a little haunting action would be cool. Yes. I don't. I don't know. It was. I think it was kind of a last minute change that she gets toasted. They're gonna have to bring you back somehow. <laughs> I think they're gonna have to. I don't. I mean, you know, it'd be cool if they did, but also if they don't, that's that's fine. They brought Credence back. They did. He, no, they did. The Obscurious helped him. So. Thanks to Amanda for spotting that. She's a MuggleCast listener. Isn't that interesting that apparently Lita's death was a last-minute change, possibly? Yeah. It's it's just so weird. It's so kind of interesting that what would seem to be a big, big decision to be made, something that this movie was always, all going, always going to be about, uh, for it to not have been about that. You know, it, because Lita's character... You know, the film really takes you through the act of getting to know her, like, pretty heavily. So if she wasn't going to die, then she must have been being set up to be, like, you know, a huge prominent character. And then if she's all of a sudden going to die, it's like, well, what's all that build up for? Now she's right. gone. So what I'm wondering is, maybe she's not actually dead, but the last minute change was how they portray her, whatever the hell is happening right at the end of the movie because i mean she doesn't seem to know for, that's another thing that's interesting she doesn't seem to know for sure if her character is actually dead or not you would think she would know mm. like if i'm an actor in one of these big movies and i'm seemingly dying i would probably go up to the director or, or my agent and be like hey am i gonna be in any more of these movies or is it over for me do they not know either that's what's kind of scaring me there's also contracts they clearly like i think she does know if she will at least be back in the form of a flashback or like dan fogler suggested a ghost you know i i think that 
there's a little less ambiguousness than they than she's allowed to say publicly. But mm-hmm. you know, I I definitely think that there is the potential for J.K. Rowling to change her mind on something. Yeah. Well, so, what do you think, Micah? She doesn't just get engulfed by the flame. I mean, I actually went to see the movie again last night and. She gets hit by something that Grindelwald sends directly at her, and that causes her to kind of break into those pieces similar to what Bellatrix actually does in mm. Deathly Hallows Part 2. So was, for me, it was very reminiscent of that scene with Molly Weasley and Bellatrix. Yeah. So I, I'm not sure what he could have done there unless he magically teleported her to... Nurmengard along with the rest of uh, his followers it's just I'll hold out hope though because as you mentioned or as I think Dan mentioned Credence ends up being a central character to what appears to be this entire series so we all thought there was a chance obviously at the end of the last movie that he could still be alive but for a lot of people they probably thought well that was the end of Credence let's move on to uh, Fantastic Beasts too. So, who yeah. knows? And then he comes back with kind of no explanation. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> he's he's just there. And I would have. I maybe they did shoot these scenes, kind of explaining how he got to Paris, because that is something that seems like it it could have been answered. I would have liked to have seen that. But yeah, so that was an interesting comment from Zoe Kravitz, and I think I think what it says is that. Lita is not actually dead. They were debating how to finish her character in this particular film's storyline. And maybe they had her doing something slightly different to finish that same storyline. But they wanted to make it more ambiguous for moviegoers, which kind of bothers me because I've, I've said I don't really love what they're doing with Credence Aurelius right now if he is not actually a Dumbledore. Like, so there's going to be potentially two fake outs in this movie. Like, oh, he's not actually a Dumbledore and Lita's not actually dead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's the difference between like, oh, what we saw was not what we saw. How clever. And there are no stakes because everything is a lie. Right. Right. All right. So there hasn't been much news other than that. So we're going to jump into our main discussion. I watched the first Fantastic Beast movie after the second one. And it's interesting because you get to revisit the things that J.K. Rowling raised in the first that she didn't answer in the second. Yeah. Um, have you guys watched the second movie since... Or sorry, the first movie since watching the second movie? Yeah. And and it's so interesting, particularly where the time, like the runtime, how much is spent on... You know, characters like the Shaws, characters like Mary Lou Barebone, who yeah. it's if if viewed like as a part of the whole, as pieces of the whole, the first film should in some ways set up like the thesis statement. What are these films going to be about? And I've kind of enjoyed while rewatching the first film, kind of guessing at what that could be, because the first film is a lot more about um, you know, open intolerance and self-acceptance and things like that. And it, some of that carries through to the second film, but it's just so interesting. At times, the plot is kind of slow of the first mm-hmm. film. And that's kind of a good thing because after the breakneck pace of part two, 
Um, it was nice to get back to sort of just the lower yeah. kind of threshold, I think. Yeah, I had the same feeling. It's a lot more peaceful of a movie, <laughs> <laughs> but still enough going on. Yeah. Micah, did you watch it again? I haven't seen it in full since I saw Crimes of Grindelwald, but mm-hmm. I remember hopefully enough uh, for this discussion. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But by the way, did you like the second movie more the second time watching it? Or Yeah, I, I did. I, I enjoyed it a, a lot more. I think just kind of sitting back and, and not maybe going at it with as much of an analytical or critical lens and just saying, hey, you know what? This is entertaining. And I'm not going to really wear the Potter cap this time around. And, and I think as a result of that, I enjoyed it a lot more. Mm-hmm. Oh, and um, the gentleman you went with, uh, your coworker, how, how did he think of the film? He actually liked it. He, yeah. he thought it got a really bad rap um, on Rotten Tomatoes and all these other uh, outlets that, that just kind of were overly critical. So mm-hmm. that that's a casual Potter fan right there that enjoyed the movie. So That's why I was going to ask, how big of a Potter fan is he? Um. He listens to the podcast. Oh, there oh. you go. <laughs> well, so, what's his name? Why don't you give him a shout out? John. John Wolf. Hey, John. What's up, John? Thanks for uh, listening to the show. <laughs> Good thing Micah doesn't talk crap on on you on air, but he does off air. I can promise you that. <laughs> so All the time. <laughs> Micah, stop complaining about John to us. Just go to John already. <laughs> so... um. So one of the things that surprised me, and I had forgotten about this until seeing the first movie, that Obscurus that Newt is holding in his suitcase, Jacob accidentally comes across it. It's in the kind of winter scene, and and Newt explains it a little bit. But this is something that is presumably still in his suitcase, right, during the second movie? It's interesting that that wouldn't have come into play with Obscurus, Obscurus continuing to be such a important part of the series yeah did any of you guys notice in crimes of grindelwald when the baby niffler were first going down to the basement and the baby niffler shoots on the champagne cork bounces down and then newt comes right down the camera sort of pans over there's like the room where that obscurus would be because it's like snowy did you guys happen to notice that it's like out of the corner of the camera like i feel like Mm -hmm. they obviously don't they don't show it but it's kind of that to me looked like that was the room where the obscurus was yeah i i did notice that yeah oh but i don't know if i obviously doesn't come into play but it's interesting because they didn't necessarily even do a proper establishing shot letting you know the obscurus was still there Mm -hmm. well you didn't really get that with a lot of the beasts that we saw in the first film right we saw those moon calves there 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 were some that were there but i don't think they reestablished beasts from movie one i think they with the exception of the nifflers but they they tried to introduce new characters right especially now that you were going into newt's basement as opposed to going into his suitcase and i and i wonder are they almost a replica of each other how do they kind of play off uh of each other but with the obscurus do we know that Newt ever got the Obscurus back from Graves when Graves was kind of playing around with the suitcase? Huh. No. I don't think we know what happened to it after that. I guess Newt would have to report a theft if <laughs> if he didn't get it back. But I, 
maybe it was still in its I like to believe and always just assumed it was still in its protective, you know, bubble. Um, yeah, I mean, we have no reason to think otherwise. So I would presume it was still there just like any other beast. Plus, Graves Grindelwald did figure out that ultimately that was not the Obscurus he was after. So, so yeah, I don't know. I just feel like that Obscurus could possibly come into play again, given how important Credence is to the storyline. Maybe Newt could be studying it further or using one Obscurus to fight the other Obscurus. I don't know. Something like that. Yeah. I uh, also found it interesting. There's this conversation between Jacob and Newt, and Newt says that people don't like him. (laughs) (laughs) He annoys people. And, yeah, this is kind of like a minor personality thing, one could argue. But it it is like such a surprising thing for Newt to come out and say, and for J.K. Rowling to specifically write that, that I'm surprised that we really haven't been learning more about why Newt is... I think a loner. Would that be a good way to describe him? Um, Eddie Redmayne says that he's uh, on the autism spectrum, that he really feels that Newt um, is not simply antisocial, not simply a loner, but actually on the spectrum as a character. So I, I think it's everybody's got sort of a slightly different take on it. But I do. I think the second film kind of explores this. I mean, a lot of people in the second film who find Newt annoying are finding him annoying because of his... I think Dumbledore even calls it like his his loyalty, um, his his special way of prioritizing what's right. Theseus talks about it too. So I think maybe that's why. And then also he makes up words like middlehead or whatever that he calls <laughs> Tina. And she's like, does anybody use that except you? And he's like, no, it's just me. So he's probably, I don't know, spacey, kind of like a Luna type character. And he licks the ground. <laughs> yeah. I just went seeing watching the scene in the first movie and given what we know about Newt in the first movie, I interpreted it as Newt being this super animal nerd and his passion for beasts prevents him from connecting with other people because it's just such a unique thing to be so passionate about. And, you know, if he's like at a bar or something, all he can do is talk about the zoo woo and his <laughs> friends are just like i don't care about the zoo woo let's talk quidditch <laughs> i don't know it's just, I, th- I think the beasts are what make him an outsider and unable to connect with other people but why would that necessarily annoy other people I, i'm still not sure that it's I like when you understand when you're that. passionately when you're talking about one of your passions and somebody else doesn't care about it yes. that's the only thing i could think of yeah it's it's nonconformity. I think is the big deal there. Like uh, even at Hogwarts, he was cooped up in his own little tower area where, you know, Lita finds him, but he's not interacting with the other students. He probably finds them to be pretty trivial. He probably does not care and, and thinks that they're small. And they likewise would be offended by his turning his nose, you know, up or down at them and would treat him poorly. So I think that's yeah. sort of annoying. I can see that. I mean, he's very reclusive. He's very much isolating himself from other people. He's more interested in interacting with the beasts than he is interacting with his classmates, it seems, with maybe the exception of Lita. Yeah. Well, 
Speaking of Lita, <laughs> well, one of the things. Uh, hang, hang on one sec. Um, the 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 other thing to, uh, to kind of remember about Newt uh, that they that he and Jacob talk about in the first film is that Newt did fight in the first war or the first world war. It's expl- it's not explicit yes. that it was the world war, but he talked about um, working with dragons during the war. And so Newt and Jacob, Jacob who was in Europe, um, apparently never made it to London. But was in Europe uh, for, as part of the expeditionary forces, um, you know, cleaning up sort of after the war. These guys are soldiers. These guys are ex-soldiers. They have some mm. sort of fighting thing in them. And I am just surprised that that didn't come up in movie two. The fact that, you know, they maybe even if it would have just been the way that they reacted to Grindelwald's atomic bomb vision but yeah. there, there could have been a lot more there about, you know, the fact that these two men have seen war. And that doesn't just, like, leave you, you know? Right. No, I mean, yeah, I was just going to bring that up. I mean, soldiers will experience PTSD when they get back, experience other mental health issues, potentially. So, um, yeah, that is, I mean, that could also be one reason why Newt is the way that he is. Not in that he annoys people, but maybe just... He he is a quieter person, unfortunately for the moviegoer when he mumbles things. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Micah mentioned Lita. There, Lita has a blink and you'll miss it spot in the first movie when she's that picture when she's in that picture and Queenie's reading Newt's mind and saying, "She's a taker. You need to give her." Why was Lita a taker? One, you would have thought that that's, that flashback scene would have been a good way to explain that line. Or at least give us some sort of hint as to how Lita was a taker. Do, do you guys think we got any explanation for that at all in this movie? Because she took Corvus, swapped him. <laughs> that's why. <laughs> that's but my Newt only didn't explanation. Know, <laughs> no, but Newt didn't know that. Oh, my so, God. Um, Queenie couldn't have pulled that. Out of I his still head. think God. there's some unresolved uh, history there, and I think Eric, you've mentioned it on on a most recent episode. The incident that we were told about with the Jarvie that happens uh, at Hogwarts, and and there's this whole big deal about Newt getting expelled as a result of it. I think that ties into her being a taker, but I don't think that we've gotten any insight into what happened there yet i don't know if that means that we will in future films but that's my guess on it i really really hope that that is explained more in a future movie at this point i'm kind of feeling like lita isn't actually dead based on these comments from zoe kravitz and us us knowing that we don't know for sure that she was dead in the first place in that movie because some weird stuff was going on in crime she was dead after the crimes of Grindelwald because we don't know what was really going on during that scene. So I hope J.K. Rowling explains that at some point. That would, that would be a bummer because that did feel like a really important moment in the first movie. Yeah, I mean it. it it's a setup. It's you're 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 essentially setting the scene, and then it's so jarring when you watch the first film, hear that line from Queenie, which seems way out of place. Uh, it reminds you how out of place Queenie feels in the second film entirely. But, I mean, yeah, the, the whole Newt being expelled, everything having to do with Lita seems to have gone completely the other way. We love Lita. 
Um, she's she's not taking anything that isn't, you know, totally like okay for her to take. She is a good friend to Newt. We only see her in her capacity as a good friend. Um, so you know, I I I think it's gone the other way than what was promised in the first film, and it might be the maybe the single most glaring kind of just doesn't things that don't add up. Yeah, and I would say too, rewatching the film yesterday. I'm more convinced that that book of her family lineage was tampered with in some way when it was moved from the ministry to the mausoleum. Just, Mm. it was too convenient because they do go in very early on in that movie. I think it's uh, Rosier and um, Abernathy. It's right around the time that Queenie is looking for Tina. So that's very early on in the movie when they grab that book. Um, and I just think that they were able to make some changes or do something that, that helped Lita make her case about what happened to Corvus. I don't, I still, I'm not sure exactly what happened, I, but I, I don't think it's what we, what we heard. Mm-hmm. What if in the next movie, um, Theseus is just like, ah, who cares if she's dead? She was a taker. Am I right, Newt? <laughs> and Queenie will be like, right. By the way, Grindelwald rules. They made it. They cast all these younger versions of Newt and Lita, but never really showed the event at all that that causes Newt to be expelled. And it's unclear how much schooling Newt had. I know uh, some of our listeners wrote in about. You know, why wasn't his wand snapped if he was expelled? And that's not what happened to Hagrid. And, you know, all of these interesting sort of questions. But I can't help but feel like it's important enough to be in one of these future films. So if if Zoe is back um, or the younger actors are back just to kind of flesh that out, I, I think it's important because I think that that incident with the Jabberwocky is what really endeared Newt to Dumbledore. And that's why he's so loyal to him. Um, hmm. So I would have liked to have seen 20 minutes devoted to the nuance of what caused Newt to be expelled. Did you say Jabberwocky? Did I say? Did, I think uh, you j- did. Is it... Um, Jarvy? Jarvy. There we go. I saw a really cool <laughs> Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, I was wondering day. how that played into it, but hey, you know what? Jabberwocky. All right, so another question. Graves. So obviously... The shell of Graves played an important role (laughs) in the first movie. And people really, myself included, I think this whole panel loved Colin Farrell as Graves. And some of us would have preferred that he actually did play Grindelwald, but that's besides the point. Where is the original Graves now? I... I would say he was one of the best characters in the first movie. really was. And it's a crying shame that we don't even get a glimpse of him or even a mention of him in the second movie. Yeah, I think there's you know, the first possibility is that he's dead and Grindelwald disposed of him, but he would have somehow. I, I, see, this is what I'm not clear on, and maybe the script book does tell us: was he just transformed as Graves, or was he using Polyjuice Potion to I'd, be Graves? I don't think we know for sure that it was Polyjuice Potion. I don't think J.K. Rowling writes the words Polyjuice Potion. Right. David Heyman said that it wasn't polyjuice potion well um, because if it was then he would have had to have kept kept him alive similar to what we saw with with moody right. in goblet of fire right now if he's just transformed himself then 
that could be a whole different ball game and Graves may no longer uh, be alive. I mean, I, I would think it would be a cool way to bring the character back if he was captured in Nurmengard and somehow factors into the storyline later on. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I want that to happen. I think at this point, for me, it needs to happen because the connections between movie one and the rest of the series is are are so frail and non-existent. Um, you know, the second film did not necessarily reinforce much of anything that the first film kind of set up. And so having Graves be back, even if it was the good Graves, would really connect it to the 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 plot of basically the crimes of Grindelwald. You know, what Grindelwald has done to get this far has been through trickery and, you know, murder and all of these other bad things. And having a character like Graves be in prison in Nurmengard would be a perfect way to show that, you know, Johnny Depp is not going about this amicably. Yeah. And and I think the larger point of, of just the crimes of Grindelwald trying to move too many plot lines with not enough context, which we've talked a lot about, um, this going back and taking a look at the first film definitely makes you realize that there's a lot of loose ends that weren't tied up in the second film, not to say that they can't be in future films, but it would have been better especially for those who are not as familiar with the series overall to have really tried to do a little bit more in the onset of this film to to let us know the answers to some of these questions yeah given how ruthlessly grindelwald would kill in this movie i mean killing the baby for example um i think he would have no problem killing graves unless he needed him alive for some reason and based on what happened in the second movie, I don't think he needed Graves alive. So he could very well be dead and Grindelwald could not give two Fs about killing him. Yeah. There's just so much that we don't know about Grindelwald's time as Graves at the Ministry. He infiltrated the deepest, deepest levels of the Ministry. He, you know, worked alongside the president um, as the head of the Aurors. Uh, and, it, you know, nobody knew any different. So he definitely did his research and was very you know, apt at, at, at portraying graves. So I wonder what that would do to a person knowing that you were impersonated for months by such a horrible person. Like, would you have to go into therapy over that? Probably. I feel like you would just be so embarrassed and then you'd, you'd feel insecure. Cause like I would be wondering if other people are wondering if I'm really who I am. <laughs> and what if they said that that uh, the time that, that you were away and somebody was in your place were the best podcast episodes you ever put out? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Wow, way to make this really personal. Really no, no, quick. no. I mean, the same thing like, for me, too. I'm worried about that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, no, it's... Yeah, that is... I feel like that would really have a horrible effect on somebody. Like, maybe Graves could just be in hiding right now because he's so embarrassed by what happened. And he's being counseled by... Serafina right now she's his therapist it's okay it it can happen to anybody which is what I would have liked to have seen out of crimes of Grindelwald and look we're I don't think we're being unfairly critical here this has to do with the first film is literally any character's reaction to having been duped by graves for six months a year um you know because th- that ultimately should be uh at the top of their mind when they're talking about going and joining Grindelwald the fact that I was reminded when rewatching the first film the other night that Tina worked for Graves and 
Abernathy was uh, Tina's like current boss. Graves was her old boss, but they all were in the office together and they were talking about, you know, wand permits and things that were very real stuff. And so, you know, Graves just wasn't, Grindelwald wasn't like this tertiary character you rarely see keeping his head down. He was literally leading the charge uh, Mm -hmm. in the hunt against him. And it just kind of, characters don't really mention that at all. It ties well into your next question, though, about Abernathy, because it's apparent that Grindelwald spent a lot of time with Abernathy and and with other characters within Makusa. Yeah. So it's, it's not surprising that somebody like Abernathy would rally to his side when it comes time for him to break out. Yeah, that that's the part that's unclear, but I think this is the part where you can at least, you know, using the existing stuff on film, make a paint a general picture of what happened, and that's that, you know, Graves probably was working on Abernathy even when he was still undercover. Or Grint Grindelwald was was working on Abernathy when he was still as 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 Graves. I think that you could fill a man's head with uh talks of greatness and some of this other stuff we actually hear Grindelwald talk about in movie 2 without needing to show that that is what occurred. But because of the time spent at Makuza, Grindelwald kind of was probably or should have been building that, you know, series of connections and that, that network that would eventually free him. Yeah. Does anybody else want to just punch Abernathy in the face? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I apologize to the actor, but I, it's just that freaking face. I just want to punch it. What if what if you went to punch him in his face and he stuck his double forked tongue out before you did it and then your fist touched his tongue? All the more reason to want to punch him in the face. He's just he's just repulsive to me. It's just and and it's because I know what he's up to, too. That's part of it. It's not all just just looks. But man, that guy annoys me. I really hope he dies soon. (laughs) Oh, I mean, I just I don't want him to die at all. I just want to understand what specifically his motivations are. It's so weird that he has no lines after the first 15 minutes of the movie um, and is still shown in in some some key scenes. But um, it's not, yeah. you know, the time is not devoted to it. I forgot that he and Newt had lines. He asks Newt, uh, you know, where did she take you? Meaning Tina. He talks to Tina. He talks to Newt. I just remember that Queenie scene where she gets the better of him mostly. But the first film is is full of Abernathy. And um, yeah, it's quite shocking. Yeah. The first movie also kind of full of Papa Shaw. Yeah. Mr. Shaw. And he's nowhere to be seen in this second movie, though I guess that makes sense because he had a very specific, specifically American role as the new newspaper editor. And um, yeah, so I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm not bothered by him missing in this first movie or, or in the second movie. Are you? No, but you are led to believe that his younger son has an interest in the magical world existing because he's trying to make it clear to his father. His father doesn't want to hear anything of it. And then his brother ends up getting killed during that rally. So, or that dinner. Um, So I'm surprised maybe we don't hear anything from the, the younger Shaw. Hmm. Papa Shaw is off supporting uh, our current president. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The actor is, (laughs) maybe that's why jk rowling didn't bring him bring him back (laughs) but yeah i don't know it's just 
it's sort of it's it's just like the situation is with um Serafina Pickery. She is she's over in America. Not everybody can go over to Europe, mm. so Yeah, she's the one character that's not in Paris in this movie. <laughs> yeah. I do hope that we return to America, by the way. I you know, we heard about Ilver Morney. We kind of thought we would actually see see Ilver Morney. We didn't. It would be n- nice to spend more time with Serafina Pickery, <laughs> maybe with Graves as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, we questioned whether Serafina Pickery was long for this world because she does retire within the next, I'd say, year or so. We did the math. It was listed in one of the books somewhere. Um, whether she simply retires to, of, as president or is like her term runs out or if she is killed but I'd like to see her more, and I think it makes sense that we will see Overmorny eventually. If this Jessica Williams character, this uh, Higgs, is it? Oh, or yeah. What's her um, character's name? Eulalie uh, Hicks. Hicks. Hicks, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, if we have her going, and at one point we we should probably get to the bottom of who Tina and Queenie are as characters, because they're just blank slate mysteries right now to us. We should figure out where they went to school. And it, yeah. I, I'd love for like America and Overmorning, all the setup that J.K. Rowling got into so much trouble setting up, I'd love for it to mean something. I keep forgetting that Jessica Williams is an Overmorning professor. I keep thinking Hogwarts because Jessica Williams is a huge Harry Potter fan and I just keep thinking Harry Potter, Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're right. That would be a great way to introduce Overmorning. J.K. Rowling has said that she will have a bigger role in movie three. And obviously, Crimes of Grindelwald kind of set that up with her speaking with Flamel mm. and being in that same book as Flamel and Dumbledore. <laughs> she She's uh, sharing a book with big names. So. Yeah. And I yeah. did try and uh, take a closer look at that book when Flamel puts it out on the desk, but I couldn't see anybody else. Yeah. Did you get a good look at the cover did you see the phoenix on the cover no i tried to even see if there was a name around the frame when jessica williams character was speaking and i couldn't it's at the bottom it's so small though it's a little blurry but see that's another instance and maybe they're trying to have another surprise with the original order of the phoenix in in a future film but they they gave absolutely no context to who she was yeah, I mean, I don't know how you cannot even have him say her name, st- establish some kind of context about who she is. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I wonder if the assumption was that people, well, the whole world doesn't know who she is. <laughs> so that can't have been the case. I was going to say, do they just assume that people know it's Jessica Williams? But that can't be right. No. <laughs> That's not how movies work. Well, it's like, it's like if you take... Uh... Princess Leia's message from R2-D2 in, the, in A New Hope um, to Obi-Wan, and you take out all of the proper nouns. So she doesn't say Clone Wars. She doesn't say Obi-Wan. You don't know who the message is to, what it's about, what it means. It would just not work. And 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 who's the girl? You know, what's going on? So it's kind of like that. It's just a shiner for future films. Yeah. All right. Another question, we kind of addressed this. Uh, how does Credence get to Paris? Yeah. For anybody who may be, might be new to the show or just forgot, 
I think there was a deleted scene, right, that has him going on a boat from the first movie. Yes, there, there was a scene. But it's not on the uh, Blu-ray, is it? No. There was a scene. Where did we see it? <laughs> Heyman talked about it. We did, we haven't seen it. Ah. We haven't seen it, but Heyman or Ezra Miller said that there was another ending originally. The movie does have like five endings, even when you watch it. Um, but, you know, there was not this scene that was supposedly cut, but is not a deleted scene where Credence actually gets on a boat. Mm. Mm-hmm. But apparently that's what they had in mind. So, yeah, but it, it's it's really unclear I've said this before, but um, how he knows that he is somebody special, like somebody I understand in, in Crimes of Grindelwald, Grindelwald is sort of delivering a letter that manipulates Credence into finding Irma, who actually may very well may be a connection to him. But he's already sort of on the path of believing that he's special when Dumbledore tells Newt that that's what's up. So I don't know, you know, and I really do want to know. What caused Credence to go to Europe to begin with? Yeah. Well, clearly his first experience on a boat was so good that he decided to get on another one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you would think, well, he was so young, he wouldn't even remember it. I was going to say he would maybe develop a fear of boats, but kid just don't remember. Man. Another question, and this was submitted by Hannah, where's Modesty? That was uh, Modesty Barebone. Oh, yeah. Somebody, again, American. I'm just going to come up with a category of characters who don't need explanations because they're American and this <laughs> film series is now in Europe. <laughs> but Modesty is a character where we are to assume that she is a muggle. So she just doesn't really have a place in this story anymore. Yeah. I mean, presumably Credence still would care about her. Um, maybe he checked in or made sure that she was adopted or, you know, had enough to survive on before leaving, considering he killed her foster mother. <laughs> yeah. And foster sister and destroyed the whole building where she lived. You know, I like to think that Credence would have done something to make sure that she was okay before heading off to Europe to find out who he was. Yeah. Another question, and we've addressed this as well, but it's an important. Who's taking care of Jacob's Bakery? We are given this beautiful scene at the end of the first movie where Jacob opens a bakery and Queenie comes in and they're clearly still in love, but we get, we, we, we don't get it at all at, in the second movie. And it's kind of a bummer because that was one of the feel good moments of the first film. So we don't see it at all. And we don't know who's taking care of the bakery. It better still be running Joe. Yeah. I I certainly would like to, to think so. And I, that it wasn't just some kind of a, punchline jacob again rewatching fantastic beast one jacob's whole arc is that he is finally in a position in his life where he's trying to finance you know he has dreams he has very real family recipes he'd like to turn into a business and at the end of the film he gets a business like that's opening up your own business is a pretty big deal for a uh a professional you know adult male in the 30s so or right before yeah. the crash so I, th- I mean, maybe they can explain it away that, that it was lost in the crash, the stock no, market. No, no, it's not closed. It's still running. People, <laughs> maybe need modesty is running. Baked goods, especially coming into the Great Depression. Yeah, um, and like Jacob says, baked goods make people happy. 
So they need to be operating. No, I don't think the bakery has actually closed. I think J.K. Rowling just didn't have time to explain who is running the bakery. Although a throwaway line similar to, oh, wait, Jacob, you do remember Queenie? Some quick explanation could have been good. Or like Queenie being like, yeah, so I put you under a spell and I brought you over here and I asked Modesty and Graves to run the bakery while you're out of town. (laughs) What if Graves is running it? That would actually be the best. (laughs) He's just turned into a baker. He's so ashamed by what happened with Grindelwald that now he just leads a quiet life as a baker. Yeah. Well, Jacob did have like an assistant, a shop's assistant at the end of the first film. So maybe that guy, you know, his his bunty is running the uh, the bakery for us. Yeah. Some other ones we got from listeners who participated in a uh, question we asked over at patreon.com slash mugglecast. What happened to the billywig? So, okay, I don't know why Lucas asked this question. This is Lucas with a K, not the Lucas with a C we always Mm. reference. Um, This question, this response got a few likes from other listeners. So apparently people really care about the billywig. This is that flying blue insect. Um, Personally, I don't care what happened to the billywig. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Eric... uh... You probably know the the term for it, but it wasn't it almost used as, as as a pacing element throughout the first film. The the billywig. Yeah. Yeah, kind of like in the Prisoner of Azkaban film, how the leaves on the trees show the passage of time. Mm. You get like a, st- a static shot of the Whomping Willow, and it's kind of like now it's fall, now it's winter, now it's spring, now it's summer. The billywig kind of when they needed to end a scene. <laughs> like that was that had like dramatic weight but not make it so dramatic they would show the billywig just like flying around right right because what was it doing it was kind of doing something Shine, uh, mooning the audience <laughs> oh right basically <laughs> here's another question this is from nicole which bad memories were erased by the swooping evil venom did all of new york have every bad memory erased from their mind or just the most recent memories this is a crucial question i feel because if the shahs do uh wake up and not remember some things that happened they're still without a son your brother like that that uh, credence killed the younger shaw brother the one who was running for senator i think and that's the kind of thing that's a mark you can't unmake and so it's unclear especially from jacob uh how he cavalierly just as like oh you said it was only bad memories and you know kind of thing talks about it doesn't give us an indicator of what anyone in new york really thinks or feels or remembers i'm gonna say it was only recent bad memories because if you lost all your bad memories as an adult that would greatly alter who you are as a person Mm -hmm. and i don't think newt would want to do that i don't think jk rowling would want to do that to people even if they're fictional so yeah i think it's just recent basically like the the span of events of the film like the guy in the shower who we didn't know who that was for the longest time uh and it ended up being mr uh whatever the the banker guy um that was who that apparently is probably he forgets the events of the break-in at the bank but that to me, is the extent of like how far back people are forgetting stuff, like maybe a week or whatever. Right. 
Yeah, I think there's a certain time period. Bingley. That was his name. This is from Nolan. Why was Newt expelled? Apparently, he took the blame for Lita. Apparently, it involved a beast. Apparently, Dumbledore opposed it. But this is all speculation based on Tiny Lion's dialogue. Why was Newt expelled? Seems unnecessary to even mention he is expelled and then not explain it at all. Would have been easier just to have him graduate. Well, yeah. And I also remember (laughs) one of the big scandals was that in the Fantastic Beast book that is on sale here in the Muggle world, doesn't it say in his author bio, upon graduating from Hogwarts or something to that effect, it, it gives you the impression that he did not have any issues while at Hogwarts. Um, I agree with Nolan. I want to know why Newt was expelled, but I think there's still time for the sticks to be explained in future movies. Again, this flashback scene with Newt and Lita seems like it could have been a good opportunity to clue us in on why Newt was expelled. If we're going off of that flashback scene alone, he was expelled because he's been keep, keeping this mini zoo of beasts at Hogwarts, presumably without permission. But that is just a wild guess that is probably not correct. Right. I do want to hear about that, though. And I also want to hear why Dumbledore opposed it. Yeah. I mean, I, I really want to see, again, the nuance. I think it's 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 important and formative to why Newt would even take up sort of the, the mantle of being on a mission right. uh, in the first place. Yeah, I was going to agree. It It clearly forms the basis of their relationship so i think it's going to be important for us to see this Mm -hmm. and there's still plenty of time for us to learn more about the new dumbledore relationship because as we brought up on a recent episode we still don't really know why dumbledore has such an interest in newt why does it have to be newt yeah this is from elizabeth i'm curious as to why grindelwald was searching for the obscurial in fantastic piece one he thought it was a young girl is this a connection to Ariana Dumbledore? I think that could certainly be the case. Although, why would he think Ariana Dumbledore's Obscurus is over in America? Does it have to do with the boat? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm also thinking maybe it's a way to get Dumbledore's attention. So if 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 he believes this Obscurus in America, in New York, I guess, is Ariana's Obscurus, is Grindelwald searching for this Obscurus because he could hold this one kind of hostage and then either get Dumbledore's attention or get Dumbledore over to his side? Why do you guys think Grindelwald is searching for it in the first movie? I think they're after the same thing. I think that they don't necessarily know that it's Credence, um, which surprises me because, and this ties into the whole end of Crimes of Grindelwald is, is when, as Elizabeth points out, or, or Michaela points out further down here, it, it would seem to me that Grindelwald would, if he should be able to identify an Obscurus very, very easily, but he does, he just passes over Credence. He doesn't give him a second thought. He thinks he's a squib. He, he, he completely demeans him throughout the course of the entire first film. And then at the end of the second, we're expected to believe that he knows his secret identity as a Dumbledore. Like what? Yeah. Maybe he's been really busy in between these two movies. <laughs> Hitting the hookah and, and, and gaining insight. <laughs> oh man. I realized that it now it's all making sense, man. 
Yeah, it, it is a little bit of a disconnect, but that I think it comes down to Michael, like you're saying the the need for shock value and the need for cliffhanger. Um, it's sort of overruling any kind of appeal to r- rationalism or sense. Yeah. So yeah, thanks for to uh, Michaela for adding in some extra insight there. So we want to talk some inc- inconsistencies between Fantastic Beasts 1 and 2, and then we have some voicemails about the crimes of Grindelwald. But first, it's time for a word from this week's sponsor. They are Robin Hood. If your galleons are just sitting in a Gringotts vault doing nothing but collecting dust, you should consider investing them. And that's where Robin Hood comes in. They let you invest in the markets quickly and easily. Their app lets you buy and sell stocks, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. They strive to make financial services work for everyone, not just the wealthy. And that's why I love them. I'm not an investment guy, but thanks to Robinhood, I can play with the stock market like the pros. Robinhood has charts and market data that are so easy to understand, even a Hogwarts first year could make informed choices. Their web platform also has stock collections that let you invest in certain categories like entertainment and social media. And the fun of Robinhood is that you're learning by doing. You learn how to invest as you build your own portfolio. And like I said, Robinhood makes it easy. They have a simple and intuitive design presenting data in an easy-to-digest way. With four taps, you can place a trade, and Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees. You can just trade stocks and keep all your profits. Other similar businesses and apps, they'll charge up to $10 for every trade. But Robinhood doesn't charge fees, which is phenomenal. Robinhood is giving listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. Sign up at mugglecast.robinhood.com. That's mugglecast.robinhood.com. Get investing those galleons, guys. Come on. Don't let them sit at Gringotts doing nothing. Got to do it. You know the Lestranges are just going to steal them. (laughs) Put them somewhere. So let's talk about some inconsistencies between the first and second Fantastic Beast movie. These go along the same lines as what we were just talking about um, in regards to what Fantastic Beasts 1 raised that movie 2 did not answer. So first of all, and we addressed this previously, I just want to mention it again quick for the sake of organization. Um, Makuza seemed to have been renamed American Ministry of Magic for the second movie. And what cracks me up about that is watching the first movie again, you hear and see Makuza a lot. Yep. Even spelled out, Magical American Congress of the United States of America, or something like that. It's like, wow, that's a. it was a big deal to change that name, because for the first movie, including in the mer- merchandise and promotion, and in the dialogue, we just keep hearing Makuza, Makuza, Makuza. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely uh, off-putting to have, for the films to now have a, a just like a completely British perspective overlaying what, you know, we as audiences should be more familiar with at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's a valuable or it's it's value. It's important to point that out. Another big change, and this was actually a good change. Credence had an awful haircut in the first movie, but <laughs> luckily in the second movie they gave him a nice haircut. Does that have to do with going to Europe? I I'm not sure exactly, <laughs> but it was a good improvement. Um, another one that was actually brought up by one of our listeners, Queenie, gets dumbed down between one and two. Do you think that was part... So, we assume by the end of the second movie that she might be under Grindelwald's spell. She drank too much of that tea that's maybe making her lose her mind. But even earlier in the movie, she seems 
a little ditzier, right? Yeah, yeah. Fundamentally, I think. And one of the, I, I, I too read that listener comment um, that just said like rewatching movie one. She is very, very much like an independent woman, her own person. She is not impulsive. She is careful, and she and Teeny have a good um, relationship that has weathered more than one man in the past. And it seems like come movie two, all of that is inexplicably laid to waste. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was actually kind of surprised to see that at play. I don't, I don't know if it's just her playing up that angle in order to be covert. Uh, another listener, I think, mentioned on last episode how you know, perhaps... Queenie was aware of the fact of what was going on at that moment inside of the French ministry because she could read people's minds. You know, she was just kind of playing it up with the the receptionist. But I would say that like her interactions with them, it's it's very much an American French type of dialogue that goes on. You know, when the the typical American who doesn't speak any language of the country that they're in tries to explain to somebody else who you know is going to end up speaking English anyway exactly what it is that they're trying to say right uh but like when she's like something she like points to her case or I, I don't remember <laughs> but it and and she speaks very very slowly so that the, the the receptionist can understand what she's saying so I just thought it was very um very interesting that they portrayed her character that way. And she does it also in the hideout when she's talking with Rosier. She's like, I don't know if you're trying to be funny or you're just French. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, that's, uh... I kind of like that line. She did say she had a problem with the accents, uh, in the first film, which I thought was funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, she calls Newt, um, She's like, I, I, I have trouble with your kind. And he says, my kind. And she says, Brits. <laughs> so it seems like she's stuck under Grindelwald's influence for now. Hopefully, presuming she comes out of this at some point, she will return to being the queenie in movie number one that we know and love. Well, I mean, she is a, I, I think it makes sense that she's with Grindelwald in terms of like, she can provide him with, with such needed, you know, necessary assistance that only she can get like, I said this before, but at the end of the film, when she tells him about how to handle Credence softly, that's exactly the right, you know, advice. But it's just how she got there is what's at, at question here. Like, we just don't, it's hard to believe that the character we saw in the first film and the character that we saw in the second film are the same person. Right. And this is from Miranda. If Newt could just Akio the Niffler back into his case in Fantastic Beasts 2, why did he bother to take Jacob on that Gotta Catch Em All tour of New York in the first movie? (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Well, I really liked that Gotta Catch Em All tour in the first movie. It, It gave the movie some structure. It was fun. Yeah, it was fun. Some people have said that Newt is able to Akio the Niffler because he has so much gold in his pockets shiny things in his pockets that he's that's how he's able to Akio him but he does say Akio Niffler he doesn't say Akio all the stuff that the Niffler's Niffler is holding mm-hmm. so I don't know if that that is true sense but yeah so <laughs> there's your answer Miranda it's just well, fun 
And especially the the efforts that he goes through in the first film when he's just trying to get the Niffler himself. Mm-hmm. Like, you remember, like he chases him into that uh, jewelry store, mm-hmm. and like if it was just as easy as pointing his wand, kind of to your point of the larger "gotta catch them all" tour, but with the Niffler specifically, like he's always causing trouble. So why not just be able to wave your wand in the first film and bring him right back to your suitcase? Right. All right, so we have some voicemails now. I wanted to play some older ones that we got a couple weeks ago, but Google Voice is being a pain this morning with opening older voicemails, so I'm just going to stick with the newer ones for this episode. Um, First of all, we have a theory on Nagini and how Voldemort made her a Horcrux. Hi, my name is JR from Ohio. I just recently started listening to the show. I love it. Um... You had asked in a recent episode or had talked about how Nagini could go from being a good guy character at this point to eventually turning evil being with Voldemort. Uh, my theory on that is that Voldemort seduced her after she had become the serpent. And uh, after, after he had seduced her, she, or he made her a horcrux. And we know from Deathly Hallows that the way that the Locket Horcrux affected Ron and Harry, uh, that it can cause you to um, act erratically and, and and evil and have evil thoughts. So being made a Horcrux could have made her completely evil. Uh, this is my theory. Thanks. And maybe Voldemort wasn't entirely truthful about what would happen when she were to be made a Horcrux. Maybe Voldemort said to her, hey, I'm going to break this blood curse by making you a Horcrux. Nagini's like, sounds great. And then (laughs) she's made a Horcrux and (laughs) it only makes things worse. I just think that we're in for a tragic story with Nagini, period. This is someone who was born with this blood curse and the rest of her life is just going to be miserable. There's, there's, going to be no good news for her both as a character and for us as viewers it's just going to be sad 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 yeah here's a voicemail and i hesitate to encourage this line of thinking but i'll play it because so many people have been suggesting this hi guys this is cheryl i always enjoy your podcast and i eagerly wait for it to turn up in my library each week i like thinking about how mcgonagall could be in that time frame but I have a different thought on how Joe can fix this anachronism of having Minerva McGonagall be a Hogwarts in the time frame of this movie and still be born in 1935. Didn't Minerva McGonagall originally give Hermione the time turner to allow her to take additional classes when she attended Hogwarts? No. <laughs> so she had a time turner and clearly felt that educational purposes were a great justification for using it, right? Mm-hmm. So I know you're sick of time turners after the cursed child, but I always find mine useful. And I think that Mrs. McGonagall probably found it very useful as well. Thank you. Bye. Points for just matter-of-factly slipping in that you have a time turner and enjoy yeah. using it. <laughs> I will say it was it was very well argued and, and positioned. And I was just, it? Well, yeah, she laid out her argument very nicely. But that being said, I don't want to see a time turner in any of these movies. It just, no, 
we we've played that game already and uh no <laughs> for me it doesn't have anything to do with oh they were overdone in cursed child it still doesn't explain why mcgonagall would use a time turner to be in the 1920s i don't i don't get what point people are making here and a lot of people the reason i played this voicemail is because a lot of people are trying trying to say that she's using a time turner but why why would she jump jump back in time just to teach more i don't i don't understand it and then what about all these other people who are you know at hogwarts aren't they wondering like oh when how old are you mcgonagall when were you born like aren't there going to be some inconsistencies that they run into or realize one way or another it just doesn't it just doesn't make sense to me i don't think there's any good way jk rowling could possibly explain why mcgonagall would time turner back a decade or two it's it's more plausible that it could be a relative of hers but I think for the purposes of this series, there's no reason to do that. It should just be Professor McGonagall as we all know her. and That is who it is. And the script book says we'll so. We'll get an explanation or we won't. And we'll just have to uh, yeah. deal with it. <laughs> Are people thinking that like Dumbledore in the 1940s or 50s like says to McGonagall, like, hey, we could have used a better teacher back in the 20s. You want to time turn her back a few decades? <laughs> I, I, I don't, time turners cannot be used for that purpose. No way. All right. Here's one voicemail concerning Credence. This is something I, too, have been wanting to bring up. Hi, uh, this is Emma calling from Nashville, Tennessee. I've been listening since I was 11. I'm uh, not know if you can hear the music, but the credits are rolling. Just finished watching um, Fantastic Beasts for the second time. And I just had, I'm just going to rapid fire shoot these questions. Um, <laughs> I just may or may not have taken notes during this film. So, okay, ready? Number one. Why must Credence come freely? Why is it necessary for Credence to come to Grindelwald freely? Does that play out? Like, what, what is that for? Uh, I'm just going to stop her right there so we can focus on that question. Uh, first of all, points for calling us from the movie theater. Thank you very much. And we can hear it in the background. So, excellent. I think Grindelwald needed Credence to come to him freely for a couple reasons. One, he, if he forced Credence to come to him, Credence could have potentially had one of his obscurest explosions and just caused complete chaos, right? So... Grindelwald needs him to come to him willingly so that Credence can believe himself everything that Grindelwald is going to be telling him. If Grindelwald forced him there, not only would he only potentially have an Obscurus outbreak, but he would also be hesitant, much more hesitant, to believe the things that Grindelwald is telling him. So I think it's those. I agree with you. I, I, I think that if Credence had been forced physically to go with Grindelwald, then it would have resulted in a lot of what we saw at the end of the last film, where, and, and potentially Grindelwald could be killed by him. Yeah. We don't know. Um, you know, we, I, I mean, we get a sense for how powerful Grindelwald is, but if Credence is the only one that can kill Dumbledore, then you'd think that that would also apply for Grindelwald. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I definitely, th- maybe there's something with the blood pact. And if in fact Credence is a Dumbledore and 
he needs him to come freely. Maybe there's something there. But I, I think it's more likely because if he doesn't come freely, then it's it's mass scale destruction otherwise. Yeah, we saw what he did to that mountain. Maybe Grindelwald has like a special coat that prevents him from being murdered during obscurus outbreaks. <laughs> you would think he needs to be prepared in some fashion. I guess he could just kill Credence. What about the blue flame, though, too? If, if he's not coming of his own free will, he could have potentially been destroyed in that flame, much like others were. Yeah. Mm. Right. Yeah, because he would have to truly want to be on Grindelwald's side to pass through that flame. You guys want to know what the coolest thing that I noticed about movie one is that I haven't brought up yet? Um, the very beginning of the film where Grindelwald is shown, uh, or like the back of his head, and he takes out all those R's, he does so with a big blue fireball. Hmm. It's it's very briefly blue, but there's something going on with the the flames that just wipes everybody out. And I couldn't help but think that maybe they're related. Um, that Grindelwald just is like really well versed in blue flames for some reason. Yeah, I, I think it's clear he he likes the color blue. Yeah, and he sticks with those blue colored spells. Well, at least one of his eyes is blue, right? Yeah. <laughs> One more voicemail, and this relates to Credence as well. Hi, Motocast. This is Rebecca. I'm calling from Brooklyn, New York. And to be honest, I just don't believe any of these theories about a release Dumbledore, about Credence being a Dumbledore, because as usual, people forget that Albaforth exists. And when Ariana died, Albaforth was just destroyed. And to think that he would have another secret sibling out there and he wouldn't even try to find him or look for him or... Um, trying to make a connection with him after Ariana died is just really hard for me to believe. And so I feel like Credence is just going to really end up being a little strange. And this is all Grindelwald's work just to make Credence on his side. Thanks. Bye. Credence being a Lestrange would certainly help explain why the Lestranges are involved in this. <laughs> but... I, you also have to remember, and this is something I realized recently out while walking Brooklyn, because these are the types of things I think about <laughs> while walking my dog. J.K. Rowling is creating a movie-going experience. She needs to surprise us. She needs to keep us guessing. She needs to create movies that are interesting and shocking and all that. So she had to insert something crazy like this. And... For that reason, I'm okay with it, whether or not it's true that he is a Dumbledore, because I am certain that J.K. Rowling has not had this Aurelius Dumbledore hiding in the wings for decades. She created this for the purposes of creating a great story and Fantastic Beasts, and we're just going to have to deal with that. So you're saying that he actually is a Dumbledore, or you're saying that there's a good chance that he's not. I, I don't know either way. I'm just saying that J.K. Rowling had to create this for this film series to give us a big surprise because we know how this series was going to end. So she had to come up with some other crazy things. And this is one of those crazy things that she hasn't had in her head all this time. Um, I think it's a little... If it, if, if it ends up being true that he really is a Dumbledore, it is a little disappointing to me that this is only being learned after the Harry Potter books because um, it does seem like this is something that would have been brought up at some point, especially in Deathly Hallows. Yeah. Yeah. We just have to deal with it. We are being given a new film series by J.K. Rowling. 
And part of the deal is that we're going to have to accept new things that we didn't know otherwise, even if we should have known them. Yeah. Um, I think that's true. And then I think it's also true that future films just need to do more of what movie one did very well, which is through world building, through name drops of historical things that are later expounded on in, in Pottermore, you know, all of this Makuza thing. We got we got a centuries old history of Overmorning and Makuza that were all thought out and developed prior to the film, you know, being set. And it explains and informs the world of the films. And the process behind Crimes of Grindelwald has very much not been that. We think that we know the things that we've seen before, but they're all slightly different and often changed. And it's very uneven footing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think even even Hogwarts doesn't feel like what like what's McGonagall doing there? What's you know? What, <laughs> why are these characters acting? There? It's a different style of storytelling. J.K. Rowling has literally intentionally withheld crucial character motivations as a method of storytelling. And that's not something she's ever done before. Mm -hmm. So I hope she goes back to sort of the more carefully laid out, clearly, you know, well nuanced mysteries instead of just, I'm literally going to take away your ability to answer this question by being so vague. Yeah. I don't know. I just think it's something we have to deal with now and I'm okay with that. Yeah. Just like I was okay with things last week. (laughs) I've, I've turned a page in my acceptance of, of where what J.K. Rowling is doing. Mm. All right. <laughs> so on that note, um, that's what we have for everybody this week in, in terms of our Grindelwald discussion. Let's play some Quizage. Last week's question was, what does Yusuf Kama say upon awakening in Nicholas Flamel's home? Uh, Kama... Uh, could give Newt a run for his money with the, this muttering. But uh, he says, Father, why did you make me? <laughs> Presumably talking about an unbreakable vow. The people who got that right are Natorius, Carolyn, Mandy, and Asim. Oh, so a tougher question. Or people just didn't care about this question. I got an even tougher one this week. Uh-oh. I'm like, people are liking the new... I don't know, challenge of it all. Or maybe just nobody bought the script book. Probably Um, partly that. Yeah, probably partly that. But this week's question, we're talking about, I was mentioning just a minute ago about um, J.K. Rowling laying the groundwork and building the world through dialogue. Here's an old question about the first film. What historical accuser of witches, later among the accused herself, is name-dropped by Tina Goldstein and is also a character in Arthur Miller's The Crucible? And which movie is this in? Uh, Fantastic Beasts 1. Oh, okay. Yeah. That helps explain so. why I don't remember it. <laughs> Even though I just you, watched what, it. You just saw this. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how do people answer that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you'd like to answer that uh, proper trivia question, you have to do so over on Twitter by at replying at MuggleCast and hashtag Quizich, Q-U-I-Z-Z-I. TCH. Okay. If you are new to the show, check out the MuggleCast website. You can follow us on social media from there. Our Twitter, like Eric said, is at MuggleCast. Facebook, same thing. Facebook.com slash MuggleCast. We also have the Patreon, which keeps this show weekly and you get lots of benefits in return. We hosted a Slug Club hangout prior to recording today's episode. And those who 
pledge at the Slug Club level are welcome to join us live on video. And we just kind of talk Harry Potter and where we live and our commutes into New York, things like that. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good way to uh, hang out with our listeners, and it's always fun to do. There's lots of other benefits as well over at patreon.com slash mugglecast, and we appreciate your support. If I can get the voicemails working, we will listen to more of those next week, the older ones. Feel free to call in with your own voicemail if you have anything to say about today's discussion. 1-920-368-4453. If you want to mail us something physically, we also have the P.O. Box, which is MuggleCast, 4044 North Lincoln Avenue, Box 144, Chicago, Illinois, 60618. And finally, if voice or pen and paper aren't your thing, MuggleCast at gmail.com is how you can email us. We also have a contact form on the website. So thank you, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. And I'm Micah. See you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.